Presumptive former President Joe Biden says he was surprised and delighted to find out that his pick for running mate was Kamala Harris. At a virtual gathering in the meeting hall of his imagination, Biden said, quote, come on, man. We're talking about a woman who's going to be a heartbeat away from the presidency. And for all I know, it may have been that last heartbeat right there. So I thought for sure it was going to be that Cherokee woman or maybe one of those black girls. But instead, it turned out to be this chick. Who knows what she is? Not that it matters. As long as she's clean and her hair smells good, then I'm all for it. Unquote. Former somebody, Barack O'Hara, Okama, whatever his name used to be, said Biden, quote, nailed it with the selection of Harris, though former San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown issued a correction saying, quote, no, that was me, unquote, in an apparent reference to Harris's pathway into politics. For those of you who need your dirty jokes explained to you, Harris happily accepted the vice presidency spot saying, quote, I am absolutely, absolutely delighted to become, let's face it, the next president of the United States. And I pledge to you, I will say anything I have to, whatever my personal beliefs are. And at this point, even I can't remember. I am proud to stand next to a man I accused of sexual harassment and bigotry, just as I would be proud to stand next to a cinder block as long as it had that stupid look on its face so I could be sure it was going to keel over or quit within six months of taking office, unquote. Harris then climbed onto a gigantic globe-shaped gas tank and shouted top of the world, Ma, before exploding in a fiery ball of her own ambition. The New York Times, a former newspaper, said the speech was pragmatic and moderate with great special effects. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! All right, we are back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. Go on YouTube and subscribe to the Andrew Claven channel, not the Daily Wire channel, because screw those guys, but just the Andrew Claven channel. You will get all my openings uh, without censorship, and you'll get uh, some extra content we will put on there. And if you leave a comment, and it's particularly stupid, and raise, therefore raises the level of conversation on the show, we will read it on the air, just because we need the material. We have one today from Magicians for Christ, saying, Dear Claven, my Tumblr has been running a little low late lately. Could you please talk about how a woman could not beat up a room full of men, or how you married your wife for her legs? Thanks. In advance, I did marry uh, my wife for her legs, uh, and the one you know, what I love is I, I, I talked about how women, women couldn't win a sword fight in a battle in the Middle Ages and everybody attacked me for it, but I was right. And now the left says, oh, we just owned him. We finished, you know, we destroyed him. We, now we really showed, but I was right. Um, so yesterday I spoke a little bit about one essential difference uh, between the left uh, and the American way. The left believes that if we just give them enough power, they and their wisdom can impose utopia from above. And the American way is to let each person live his life and seek to better himself so that the whole nation rises on the force of individual decisions. The left believes that everything will be great once those annoying human beings can be silenced and controlled. And for Americans, the human beings are the point. What the philosopher Immanuel Kant called an end, not a means. But the left, because it always sees utopia right over the hill of that next five-year plan or the controlled economy or enforced relocation or racial quotas, they can't follow Kant's imperative and eventually is normal human nature, normal human morality, normal human gender feelings, and normal human desires keep getting in the way of the plan, they start to hate 
normal people. Normal people are the roadblock to paradise. You can see this not just in the things they say, calling normal folks deplorable, racist, sexist, and so on, but in the actual results of their policies. They let radicals riot in their cities, and then they tell normal people it's their fault because of their horrible normal values, which are secretly racist. They litter their cities with homeless and then tell normal people it's their fault for caring more about property values than they care about the schizophrenic alcoholics defecating on the sidewalks outside their house. Sure, they've turned your city into a hellscape, but you're supposed to take it and like it, not block utopia with your stinking normalcy. Technically, I'm not even a normal person. I'm an eccentric artist, but I never forget the house I live in is built by normal people. And I don't just mean this house I'm in, but this country. It's built by the people who live and work jobs for the sake of their home and family. The freedom I enjoy is preserved by their good behavior. My life is made possible by their labor. This country is first and foremost theirs. They deserve better than a utopia that looks almost exactly like hell. Let's talk for a minute uh, also about uh, censorship on social media, a big, big problem. Uh, the left wants to silence and remove any voices they don't agree with. Twitter, for example, was supposed to be an open platform, but I don't need their content moderators acting like the op-ed section of the New York Times. So instead of letting social media sites revoke your right to free speech, how about revoking their right? to your data. Now, you could just deactivate all your social media accounts, but that would be giving the left just what they want in the first place. Instead, use ExpressVPN. That's what I do. It's on all my computers. Ever wondered how, to free, how free to access social media sites make all their money? They do it by tracking your searches, video history, and everything you click on, and then they sell your valuable data. When you use ExpressVPN, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. And ExpressVPN couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash Clavin. By visiting my special link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Clavin. expressvpn.com slash Clavin to protect your data today and don't let them find out how you spell Clavin, because then they'll get that deal. But for you, just between you and me, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. I just just make it look easy like this. Uh, We got uh, not just uh, Jenna Ellis, who is great in and of herself, but we also have John MacArthur, uh, the pastor who is defying the L.A. lockdown orders by holding church, uh, no matter what they say. Speaking of this normal thing, there is an article in the Wall Street Journal today that really moved me because it's about a neighborhood I know well. It's by a a lady named Julia Vitulo Martin, Uh, obviously a liberal. She's living on the Upper West Side where you have to be a liberal. I think you have to have a little card. I am a liberal to get in the Upper West Side. And she was talking about what a great neighborhood it is. And I lived in the Upper West Side at the worst, at its worst in the 70s. And it was beautiful even then. I mean, it was dangerous uh, as it's getting dangerous again. And when she talks about the fact that there were, you know, everybody was liberal, but they they had these wonderful restaurants. They have uh, Lincoln Center is over there. uh, And they have libraries and bookstores and markets. It's really, it really is a nice urban neighborhood if you like urban neighborhoods. Uh, and she says there were problems, but we worked them out amicably. Then COVID-19 hit and the streets emptied, people sheltered in place, retail stores started shutting down. And at the same time, vagrancy, homelessness, which is a big problem, got worse and worse and worse. And basically, the government started using the uh, 
the flu lockdown to start moving homeless people and vagrants into the neighborhood and housing them in this neighborhood so there were more and more and more of them. So they had a Zoom call organized by the office of the Manhattan Borough President and participants from the Department of Homeless Services and Advocacy Groups. And this is what they told the parents whose children could no longer go to the playground and enjoy the playground, uh, couldn't, you know, feel safe. They couldn't sit in restaurants because all the restaurants, even normally a lot of the restaurants are out on the sidewalk. Uh, and this, this used to happen. I remember back in the 70s, you'd sit on the sidewalk and people would come while you were eating dinner and panhandle and, and sometimes just scream at you and do all this terrible thing. My wife had her purse stolen uh, back in the day. And, and so now this is what's happening. And so this is what the Manhattan Borough President and the Department of Homeless Services tell the parents is they say, don't, they, they told them, use non-stigmatizing language to re- when referring to what they call the West Side's new residents who are our brothers and our fathers. One argued that photos of drunken men sleeping on sidewalks and the Broadway medians stripped these people of any shred of humanity. What about the humanity of parents, the writer says? What about the humanity of parents frightened for their families and residents worried about their neighborhood? And she talks about how the neighborhood is falling apart. She says, now moving vans are a frequent sight as families simply pack up and leave. A neighborhood psychiatrist attributed this in part to annihilation anxiety. Not only is paradise lost, so is basic civility. And this is what I'm talking about. This is These are normal people. They're liberal people. I like these people. I'll be honest with you. I, I've always liked normal li- liberal people. They're charitable. They're civil. They're nice. But they don't understand that compassion is an individual attribute. Compassion is something that they do. It's not something the government does. When the government says it's being compassionate, it's really just stealing power. And a government that becomes so compassionate that it's leftist is actually going to destroy normalcy. And that's what they're doing in the Upper West Side. They took it away from the normal people. It's the normal people who make things work. And the left has always hated normal people. They've always hated their suburbs. They've always hated their homes. They've always hated their values. And now they think this is their moment and they're going to destroy them. And they're trying to convince you that your normal values are the problem and their spreading homeless people and crime on your streets is a good thing. It is a very, very sick philosophy. And it's about time. I hope these people who are leaving the Upper West Side will go to a new place and remember what they learned. Uh, so let's let's talk more about uh, Kamala Harris, because I, I, there's something really important that, about this. Yeah, she, yesterday, she was introduced to the nation because the nation had already rejected her. So they had to bring her back and say, well, you didn't like her the first time, but we're going to bring her back. And uh, they had this kind of they went to a gym and all this stuff. And they had this, um, you know, speech that she gave. My favorite part of this also was they released this video of Biden offering her the job and Biden sitting with the computer and talking to her. Let's play this little clip. Let's cut nine. That's all right. You ready to go to work? Oh, my God. I'm so ready to go to work. First of all, is the answer yes? The answer is absolutely <laughs> yes, Joe. And I am ready to work. I am ready to do this with you, for you. I, I just, I'm just deeply honored, and I'm very excited. <laughs> what I love about it is on the screen of the computer, he's got a script. He can't offer the job of vice president without a script. I mean, what were they afraid he was going to say? It's like, you know, you're a, a clean African-American woman with great smelling hair. So I'd like it. <laughs> what, the, what the hell? He can't even talk to her. Anyway, the the, the push from the uh, Democrats and media is she's a moderate. It's just a couple of clips. This is cut one. 
Kamala Harris comes from the middle of the road, moderate wing of the Democratic uh, Party, not the first choice of progressives. She is not far to the left, despite what uh, Republicans are going to try to say. She, there is a, a certain uh, circuitous route to her position on issues. Not just likable, as they talk about, as they, you know, people cover mm-hmm. campaigns and talk about temperament, but she cares about women's issues. She she cares about equality deep within her soul from her yeah. own experience. Um, we've had a great time knowing her so far, and it's kind of exciting. This pick- There will be those that employ racism and sexism. Look at Donald Trump yesterday, you know, calling her nasty. He would have done that to any person that Joe Biden selected uh, on the ticket. And, and that's the undertone. There are those who will not retreat from that kind of divisiveness and hatred. And Donald Trump exemplifies it. <laughs> the argument here, because because Kamala Harris is a careerist at, with no values and because she was a tough pro-cop prosecutor until she became a defund the police leftist, right? They're going to say, well, the stuff she did that we hated means that he can't call her a leftist and the stuff that she does that we like, that she's now a far leftist, uh, you know, uh, is does not make her a leftist because she did stuff we hated and then she became a leftist, you know, because she has no values. In other words, Trump is going to have a hard time pinning him. But, you know, I think they have a, a point in that that's is all because of a record. It's all a little complicated. The thing he should do is pin her for the fact that she's corrupt. She is dirty down to the ground. She has always been dirty. She is a dirty, corrupt politician. And the thing is, they're going to strike back and say, well, what about Trump? Well, what about Trump? Trump has been investigated by the FBI. They tried to bring him down, the biggest law enforcement agency in the country. The CIA has investigated him. The New York uh, uh, federal prosecutors have investigated him. They've been investigating Donald Trump for millions and millions of years at this point with all the things they've gotten. What have they gotten? A couple of, you know, uh, deals that he put his name on that he shouldn't have put his name on. They haven't got anything on Donald Trump. If there were berries, bodies buried behind Donald Trump, we'd know about him, all right. But this woman is openly, openly corrupt. You know, just the fact yesterday she was talking that at the speech she gave. I mean, Joe Biden uh, first of all brought back the old lie about Trump saying that there were great people on both sides of the Nazis and white supremacists. Just a total lie. He said, "I'm not talking about those people." It's in the transcript. And then Harris accuses him of crashing the economy. Is cut thirteen. Trump is also the reason millions of Americans are now unemployed. He inherited the longest economic expansion in history from Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And then, like everything else he inherited, he ran it straight into the ground. <laughs> First of all, he, he inherited this sluggish economy with uh, Obama's foot on its neck, and he turned it into a supercharged economy. And what happened is the lockdowns, which he wanted to stop, he wanted to stop at Easter, are what has harmed the economy. And now things are coming back. Does anybody, does anybody think for a minute, I mean, jobless claims are under a million for the first time in March. Uh, the stock market is doing really well. Does anybody think that Joe Biden is going to do better with the economy? It's unbelievably ridiculous. Speaking of economy, by the way, you got to protect your home. I'm sure a lot of you have a lot of your money invested in your home. You want to make sure your home is, has got a guarantee, a warranty, and America's most preferred home warranty is American Home Shield. It's the nation's largest provider. They've paid more in 
uh, in home warranty claims than any other company, and that's added up to more than $2 billion in the past five years. American Home Shield members get more, more coverage options and fewer exclusions from HVAC systems to kitchen appliances. Their plans help protect components of up to 21 essential home systems and appliances from damage caused by everyday wear and tear. Coverage available for in an unlimited number of eligible electronics like tablets, flat screen TVs, and more. You get local help no matter where you live, and it helps protect your home and plan for the costs of unexpected repairs. We have an exclusive deal for, of 50 bucks off for listeners. Go to ahs.com slash Clavin today to save 50 bucks and start protecting your home and budget from inevitable breakdowns. ahs.com slash Clavin. That's ahs.com slash Clavin for $50 off any plan. American Home Shield, be sure with the shield. Limitations and exclusions apply. See plan for detail. And I know what you're thinking. How do you spell A-H-S? No, that's not what you're thinking. You're smarter than that. Maybe you're not. I don't know. I'm looking at you. It's K. How do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V. A-N. But you know, the thing, <laughs> there are no ease in Clavin. The thing about Kamala is she is dirty and she has been dirty uh, from the beginning. And that's why I just want to play this one clip and then I'll get into more detail about this. Uh, this is something they dug up, what she said about young people is cut 14. What else do we know about this population, 18 through 24? They are stupid. <laughs> that is why we put them in dormitories. And they have a resident assistant. They make really bad decisions. And then she, that's what she said. And then she was asked later during the primaries, should they be given the vote, these stupid people? It was cut two. Given that policies passed now will affect the younger generation for years to come, do you believe that Americans should have the right to vote at age 16? I'm really interested in having that conversation. I have to tell you that. Um, I think that there is no question that um, if we are looking at what is going on in our country, we are putting more responsibilities on people at a younger age. And um, the larger number of people that we can involve in the electoral process, um, I think the more robust it would be. (laughs) So they're stupid and we want them voting. Why would that be, do you think? Why would that be? Well, it's because her story is a story of corruption. That is what it is from the very, very beginning. I mean, you know, she she got into, you know, you don't, they, they're going to attack you for being sexist no matter what, but she slept her way into politics. There's just no question about it. Uh, you know, uh, Willie Brown was the mayor of San Francisco. He was an assemblyman in San Francisco. He was also a fixer in San Francisco, and he was a famous uh, gad about what I don't know what you call him. He's a famous womanizer. He was a womanizer, and uh, he was married, but he was always always had a girl on his arm. And one of those girls was Kamala Harris, and he was uh, 60. Uh, she was in her 20s, and he helped her get uh, elected DA, DA in in San Francisco. Uh, while this was going on, you know, sometimes he would show up at parties, Willie Brown, with his wife on one arm, <laughs> his girlfriend on another arm, one of them, Kamala Harris. And then, and then when she became DA and they said, well, aren't you connected to this major fixer? She just basically threw him overboard. She said, his career is over. I will be alive and kicking for the next 40 years. I don't owe him a thing. <laughs> so, so she's she's a tough a tough character. He was the only DA. This is from Peter Schweitzer, uh, Profiles in Corruption: Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elites. His book. Uh, she was the only D- DA in the top fifty metropolitan cities who did not bring charges against Catholic clergy 
for sexual abuse. I mean, this was a major, major scandal. It was going on everywhere. It was going on all over the country. And in every major city, they were bringing charges against these people, but not Kamala Harris. I mean, this is this is really her history, and it goes on, and I'll keep talking about it, because this is the way I think Trump should go. You know, they've come after Trump with everything, and seriously, they have nothing. They have absolutely nothing on them. The Russian thing was a hoax. The Ukraine thing was a nothing burger. Everything they've brought against him has turned out to be untrue, you know, and and it's it's really interesting about him, because you you know how I feel about Trump. I'm, I'm not sure I would, uh, you know, uh, trust him with a lot of business deals, but apparently, apparently he plays by the rules. He's always played by the rules. He's never gone around a judge. He's never, in, as a president, he's never gone around a judge. He's never uh, violated the Constitution. They don't really have anything on him, and God knows they've tried, whereas Kamala Harris is openly, openly dirty, and that's the tack I think Trump should take. He should pile up the evidence and really bring it to her, because I think he can beat them uh, with that, since she is, of course, the, uh, going to be the president if they get elected. You want to know about your past. There are many paths to finding your family history. Whichever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from, and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. It really is fun, by the way. You know, they get all this crazy information, uh, and it's really easy. Uh, and you could find a famous relative. Maybe you could find a photo of your great-grandmother as a little girl. Whatever you find is sure to change the whole way you look at your family, history, and yourself. After all, the story of your family is, in some way, the story of you. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but also can pinpoint the specific regions within them, giving you insightful geographic detail about your history. Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Clavin to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash Clavin. You may even find out how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So this, this goes on. The stuff about her corruption goes on. Uh, she was California Attorney General. And this is kind of a complicated story. I don't want to get too much into the deep weeds. But there were uh, a, a chain of hospitals, six hospitals that were insolvent that had been run by the Catholic Daughters of Charity. Uh, and a new healthcare place wanted to come in and buy them up and keep these uh, hospitals open uh, to serve California. It was Prime Healthcare Services, it was called. And they made an $840 million bid for these six hospitals. But the problem was that Prime Healthcare... Uh, was the, it was the only bidder that agreed to assume the hospital's million, $300 million liability. I don't want to get too much into this, but the point is they, they were the only ones who were going to do it, but they wouldn't agree with the Service Employees International Union, United Healthcare Worker, Workers West. They wouldn't agree to let them come in with a free hand and unionize. So the union went to Kamala Harris and she pulled all this dirty stuff. She put all these poison pills into the deal. They, she wanted to require 24-hour nursing, surgery, anesthesia, laboratory, stuff that hospitals couldn't afford. And she exploded this deal so that California lost the hospitals in service to her friends, the unions, right? And and was she getting money for this? Was she getting, you know, obviously, obviously that this is, this is the thing that's happening. The thing that was, this is the way her kind of politics works. It works by donations. As proof of this, take a look at another story. And this story has always really, uh, I've always found this story particularly upsetting. When she was attorney general, remember this guy, uh, David Delighton, I think his name is. I think that's how you pronounce his name. 
And he went in and he got secretly recorded videos of Planned Parenthood officials uh, discussing how to sell body parts, basically. And he put this out. And so instead of instead of investigating Planned Parenthood, uh, she went after the guy. She went after the guy who got the videos. Is it just ama- it's an amazing, amazing story? I, I did one of my funniest videos. You can still find it. Uh, it was so it was so raw that they actually wouldn't put the name of the Daily Wire on it because it was just so raw about what these Planned Parenthood people were doing. Uh, go and see if you can find it because it really is funny. But. But Kamala Harris had close ties to Planned Parenthood organizations. Uh, she had received Operation Rescue, a, a pro-life organization, has gotten documents that showed that she received over $81,000 uh, into her attorney general campaign coffers. And so instead of investigating uh, Planned Parenthood selling body parts, she went after Delighton. She went after Delighton. Here he is on Fox talking about this is cut six. While she was running for U.S. Senate, while Planned Parenthood in California was contributing to her political campaign, did she recuse herself from the Planned Parenthood investigation? No, she didn't. She consciously and willfully involved herself directly and personally in the Planned Parenthood case. She had an in-person meeting with six Planned Parenthood executives from California in Los Angeles two weeks before the raid on my apartment. Then... He talks about the way she came after him as cut seven. Kamala Harris, in my experience, I've been on the receiving end of her abuse of power and her pattern of targeting Americans who have viewpoints that disagree with her own, targeting them and using her powers of office to try and punish them for viewpoints that disagree with hers. If you were an animal rights activist, you could do undercover video to expose how animals were being treated. And Kamala Harris praised those activists and used that video for her agenda as attorney general. But if you were an undercover journalist investigating Planned Parenthood and investigating the abortion industry, trafficking baby body parts, then Kamala Harris wanted to silence you, wanted to intimidate you, and wanted to make sure that your message was punished and didn't get out there to the public. So she she sleeps away into office. She doesn't prosecute uh, corrupt priests. She doesn't co- prosecute police officers either who have stepped over the line. Uh, she goes after, uh, she scotches a deal that would keep hospitals around for a union to serve a union. And then she goes after a, a journalist, essentially, who gets the dirt on Planned Parenthood because she's getting $81,000 in donations uh, from Planned Parenthood. This is a dirty bird, as we used to say. This is a really uh, soiled person. And you can talk about, oh, she's a woman and oh, she's this color or that color, but you can't defend against corruption. Corruption is the worst thing in politics because it trumps, uh, it trumps policy. You know, policy can't do what policy is supposed to do if the organization that's running it is corrupt. If the politicians are corrupt, it doesn't matter what policies you have. That was the thing. That's how Giuliani transformed New York. Uh, and Mayor Koch before him helped transform New York, not as much as Giuliani, but they did it because they were both incorruptible. Uh, Koch was more of a liberal, though he became more conservative over time. Giuliani was a conservative, but they were both incorruptible. And that's a big deal. This is a corrupt person. You know, it, it really is 
important, uh, more important in some ways. I mean, obviously, far leftism is really bad and destroys the country. But this is a dishonest person. And Trump should go after her for that. And they should pile it up. His campaign should pile up the information on it. Meanwhile, of course, talking about corruption, you have got the press. <laughs> I have to just play this wonderful coverage of uh, their of CNN. They're all, I played it before, they're all defending her and just uh, building her up. But this is CNN attacking Fox for their co- uh, coverage of Kamala Harris is cut four. I also think it's the reason that the Trump campaign and the president himself has had a little bit of a hard time figuring out how to handle this pick. She is not the easiest pick for Donald Trump and the Trump campaign. I think that is just a fact. And you could see it play out overnight in the Trump campaign and on Fox TV, which is, I guess, not the Trump campaign, but sometimes it's a st- distinction without a difference. <laughs> So she's saying it's a distinction. The Fox campaign, the Trump campaign and Fox News is a distinction without a difference, right? Here's the way a montage from our friends at Newsbusters about CNN covered Kamala Harris's speech, right? Because this is just, just remember what you just heard. You just heard a guy on CNN saying there's no difference between Fox and the Trump campaign. Here's CNN covering Kamala Harris. A montage is cut five. I thought uh, Kamala Harris gave a fantastic speech. She absolutely uh, nailed it. I think this is one of the finest performances uh, I've seen her uh, deliver. It's as though she was saying them from the mountaintop as opposed to, you know, just a high school gymnasium there. She gave a very powerful speech. These were two extremely strong pointed speeches. It was a beautiful speech, both of them. She's incredibly warm and funny uh, and light. She's talking about uh, spending time with her nieces and, and, and her stepkids. What we saw here today was the passing of the torch. She was, I thought, fabulous. That was such a beautiful thing to see. There was a relaxed quality yep. to her uh, while and, and delivering, you know, some blistering lines of attack. It's medicine right now. That included the thing about her speaking from the mountaintop was Jeff Zelaney, who used to be the New York Times White House correspondent and who did the famous, uh, asked the famous question of Barack Obama, what enchants you, what delights you about being president of the United States in his first interview? That guy, that guy has no shame. He literally has zero shame. What were they criticizing? What were they criticizing uh, Fox News for? Why were they accusing Fox News of being one at one with the Trump campaign? Because the the entire segment is about this. The entire segment that I played the opening of on CNN is about this, was about the fact that Tucker Carlson mispronounced Kamala Harris's name as Kamala Harris. Okay, so here's our comparison of Tucker Carlson, how Tucker Carlson pronounces it and how how Joe Biden pronounces it. When I agreed to serve as President Obama's running mate, (laughs) He asked me a number of questions, as I've asked Kamala. But the most important was, he said to me, what, he asked me what I wanted, most importantly. I told him I wanted to be the last person in the room before he made important decisions. That's what I asked Kamala. (laughs) It's Kamala, Kamala, you know. this This was the entire 10-minute segment on CNN was about the fact that Tucker Carlson, uh, who wonderfully calls Don Lemon Don Lamone, I always loved that, uh, called her Kamala instead of Kamala. And then they go on about how this is what women of color have had to put up, people <laughs> mispronouncing their names. This is, you know, so they're going to go do this full uh, point, this full court press. But the thing is, is this woman is 
dirty. And she is she has got no backbone, no uh, integrity. She really does. doesn't. I, I shouldn't say she has no backbone. What I mean is she has no backbone of integrity. She has no authenticity. And I think she is a, a fair target for Trump to really take her apart. I do not think, by the way, that she's a good pick. I mean, just politically speaking, laying aside who she is, I don't think she's going to add to their numbers. I think one thing I just want to mention, we don't have time to talk about it today, but and it just happened, was Trump has just engineered a peace treaty between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, which if he were not Donald Trump would win him the Nobel Prize. So Trump is on the warpath. This is going to be a very, very uh, tight election, I think. Uh, it's not going to be anything like the people who are predicting a blowout uh, for the Democrats think it is. I'm pretty sure of that. I can't predict who will win because I think it's a, a toss up, but it is going to be really, really close. All right, let us talk about NetSuite because you got to know when you're running a business, you got to know your numbers. You got to know where the money's going. You got to know who's doing what. What you need is NetSuite by Oracle. It's the world's number one cloud business system. This way, with NetSuite, what you can do is you can put your finance, your HR, your inventory, e commerce, everything you need all in one place so you save time, money, and headaches. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales like myself, NetSuite, I made that up. NetSuite gives you visibility and control so you can manage every penny with precision. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to go faster with confidence. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders and assembled a playbook of the top strategies strategies they're using as America reopens for business. This is the important time. This is the time when you really have to know what you're doing. NetSuite can help. And you can receive a free guide, seven actions businesses need to take now and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash Clavin. Get your free guide and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash Clavin, netsuite.com slash Clavin. They even will tell you how to spell Clavin, but we'll tell you first. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. It's just so true. I just make it look like this. Also, while you're uh, over at dailywire.com, subscribe to dailywire.com and get their all access level, which is their top level. You get to join all access live, our exclusive live stream Q&As hosted every night by each of the hosts, including me. That's the top. That's a really top tier. That's if you're really top tier, uh, you get to talk to me. All access membership also features exclusive access to live online discussions with our hosts, writers and special guests. Plus, you get two leftist tiers tumblers, which if things work out will, will be exactly what you'll need. Head over to dailywire.com slash Clavin right now to get 20% off all access with coupon code access. That's dailywire.com slash Clavin coupon code access to get 20% off your all access membership. But you got to know how to spell Clavin because otherwise you're going to subscribe under Knowles and you don't get any of those things. Uh, sorry. All right. We got John MacArthur and Jen Ellis coming right up. All right. We have John MacArthur with us. You heard me singing his praises. I think it was before I left on vacation. He's the pastor of Grace Community Church. He's a best-selling author, uh, featured teacher with the Grace to You Media Ministry. Uh, and he opened his church in despite of the uh, flu rules here in California, uh, and he's filed a lawsuit against the state of California after restrictions were placed on indoor worship. It was, in my opinion, a heroic act. Now he needs a good lawyer. Who'd he get? Our old friend Jenna Ellis. He couldn't do any better. I'm really glad to have you guys with us. Thank you for coming on. Great to see you, Drew. Oh, glad to be with you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Pastor, explain your reasoning for opening uh, the church. Well, the first and primary reason is because we are commanded 
by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come together, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the closer you get to uh, the return of Christ, the more vital and important it is to have fellowship. The church is, by definition, an organism, a body, a fellowshipping group of people who stimulate one another to love and good works and who act as a shining light in the world, both by their virtuous lives and by the proclamation of the Word of God and the gospel. The church is the most essential thing in the world because only the church holds the truth that saves eternally from final and everlasting judgment. We are the most essential. Secondly, because the Constitution says essentially to any form of the government, you have to recognize the inalienable rights that the church has to meet. We have freedom of religion to do that. And all government in this country is to protect that right. And thirdly, because we were told things uh, about the virus that were not true, have proven to be untrue, and our people have decided that they don't have any fear of the virus, it's far more important for them to gather together as the Church of Jesus Christ. And that's what they've been doing more and more every week. I have to tell you, I was I was shocked that uh, every church didn't do this. Mine didn't. Mine is still closed down. Uh, and I thought every church should have the exact reaction uh, you have. Can you explain, Pastor, what the how the state of California reacted to this, uh, especially on site? Well, they they uh, sent us a, a letter uh, saying cease and desist or uh, you're going to be fined up to a thousand dollars and up to 90 days in jail. Um, since then, Jenna. Uh, and other attorneys have been interacting with the county and uh, with the health department to uh, tell them, we're not going to do that. We're going to meet. Uh, we feel we have constitutional protection to meet. We also understand, again, as I said before, that our people don't buy the, ne the narrative about the disease. But more importantly than all of that, we're commanded by the Lord to meet. And look, throughout the history of the church, those churches, those Christian people and those pastors who kept the church alive when a monarch or a sovereign told them that was illegal have become church history heroes. All of a sudden, we've uh, reinvented uh, this kind of day for the church and what's coming out as well. If you do that, you're not a hero. You're violating the law of the government. It shows the weakness of the church as compared to the strength that manifested through its history of persecution. Yeah, yeah. Jenna, uh, you know, he's certainly got himself a good lawyer. I got to say uh, that for him. And, uh, I, you know, explain this to me. How How is it not a violation of the First Amendment? How is it not a violation of the First Amendment for a state to say, well, uh, you can have a protest, but you can't meet in church? How How is it possible that the governor is allowed to pick which parts of the First Amendment are in play here? Well, that's exactly, Drew, why we filed this lawsuit, because L.A. County needs to answer that very question and answer why they have put these arbitrary and capricious rules onto the church that has heightened protection under the First Amendment. Pastor John is absolutely right. Our founders, in their wisdom, understood that the church is targeted by tyrants throughout world history, unlike, uh, you know, not unlike Gavin Newsom, who is a tyrant here and targeting the church. And that's why the founders specifically protected freedom of 
speech, freedom of association and assembly, and free exercise of religion. So we can come together to speak the truth about the things of God. That's what the church is called to do. That's what it does every day. That's what Grace Community Church has been doing for the 63 years uh, since it opened its doors. And so for LA County to enforce and try to enforce these unconstitutional mandates that have no basis in rationality, much less a compelling government interest, uh, which is the constitutional analysis and the requirement for any sort of infringement on free exercise of religion. They have to answer that question, why they are trying to close Grace Community Church, yet they didn't try to enforce any restrictions whatsoever on all of these other political protests. So I thought it was so amazing. And I was sitting front and center. I've been welcomed to Grace Community Church for the last two weeks. I've been there, uh, able to worship. I'd invite you, Drew, come and worship with us uh, this Sunday. And uh, Pastor John opened with a wonderful statement. Welcome to Grace Community Church's peaceful protest. (laughs) <laughs> I saw that. I thought that that was great. I, I was shocked that lawsuits like this didn't spring. I'm at my, my naivete. I was shocked that uh, uh, lawsuits like this haven't sprung up all around the country. Just as you guys were coming on, I heard that the state is seeking an injunction against you, Jenna. Is that is that right? Yes. Yeah, you know so we this? just got notice yeah. from the uh, county attorney that uh, the uh, that L.A. County is now seeking a temporary restraining order for two things. They're trying even this Sunday. So the hearing is going to be tomorrow morning at 830 a.m. Pacific time. They are seeking to restrain Grace Community Church from allowing any form of indoor worship and also outdoor worship that does not comply with its ridiculous mandates. So they are now, uh, rather than even though uh, my co-counsel and I spoke with them yesterday, we said, please have the health department read our lawsuit. Uh, We feel that we have really good arguments under the constitution. Maybe this will help them understand our position more. Well, no, they didn't even care. They just went out. They are trying to restrain Grace Community Church. And we, of course, will defend their constitutionally protected rights. The most important thing you have to uh, consider, Drew, and everyone listening, this is not Pastor John and Grace Community Church defying the law. The law in America and the state of California is the constitution and those protections. This is Grace Community Church standing on the side of the law against these overreaching tyrants that are defying their oaths of office when they are commanded, mandated by the constitution to preserve and protect our right to free exercise of religion. Pastor John, uh, one of the things that I've heard from churches, including my own, was that the loving thing to do, the Christian thing to do, is to keep everybody safe, to not let people uh, come to church uh, where they're going to get sick. What do you, What is your response to that? What's your response to people who say you're not uh, doing the loving thing by letting people sit next to each other and so forth? Um, well, basically, we can start with a statistic. You have a 99.98 or 9 chance of surviving covid in uh, the state of California, 0.02 people, and the average age of those who die is 78, but that that can affect them because they have comorbidity. So 99.98% chance of surviving. But let me say this, you have no chance of surviving death, ultimately. And the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. The church does not exist to protect people from flu. It exists to protect people from eternal punishment and hell. And we will continue to preach the gospel because that is the message the world must hear. We are the stewards of the only saving message that rescues men and women from eternal judgment. That is a far higher calling than trying to protect a few people 
from the flu, realizing that all are ultimately going to die. And our message alone provides, through faith in Christ, eternal life. I, I, again, I'm, I'm really surprised and disappointed that I'm not hearing this from every pastor uh, in America. Is, there, is it paranoid to think that this is specifically targeting Christianity, that there is a, as they say, a war against Christianity? Uh, are, are people who believe in this in America, are they paranoid or do you, do you find this in your own experience, that the government is openly hostile to the Christian faith? Well, I mean, there's a basic theological truth in this, Drew, and, and that is this, that Satan and all of his forces work constantly against the kingdom of God. So we're, we're not surprised by that. The Apostle Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not primarily human, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Uh, Satan and all his agents, all his spiritual agents and all his human agents work against the kingdom of God. The, the Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says we shouldn't be ignorant of his devices. So we get it. The whole world, says the Apostle John, lies in the power of the evil one. So is there a massive supernatural conspiracy against the kingdom of God? Of course. But that doesn't mean every person is violently against the church. Uh, Satan works with uh, those who will ac uh, acquiesce to his leadership at whatever level they will acquiesce. But yeah, there's a spiritual battle. The church is always going to have to fight that. The enemy will find all kinds of ways to try to silence the church. And let me just pivot a little bit to say this. The church in America has been so uh, caught up in pragmatism it has drunk the Kool-Aid of trying to devise a religion that non-religious people will like and accept, that it's afraid to be courageous because it might offend somebody. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's very refreshing to talk to you both, I have to tell you. Uh, Jenna, I hope you'll keep in touch. I'm out of time, but I hope you'll keep in touch and let me know uh, how the case is going. I have personal reasons why I have to quarantine for a couple of weeks, but after that, I'll be there. I, if, especially if you guys are going to get arrested, uh, I don't want to miss it. Uh, thanks so much we'll for coming on. Soon, <laughs> God bless you both. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, you know, again, I, I, I do complain about the emptiness of the church. What, uh, what Pastor John said at the end there, the pragmatism, uh, it is so true. The church in this country has had it so uh, good for so long that they've forgotten uh, that there is, as he says, a, uh, a spiritual war against the church, which some uh, leaders uh, decide to join. However, now, even worse than that, even worse than Satan prowling like a lion, it's the Clavenless Weekend. I mean, <laughs> it's like you thought things were bad before. You got the fall of the Republic. You got Satan prowling with, like a lion. Now it's the Clavenless Weekend. But survivors will gather here on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. 
edited by Danny D'Amico, audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo, production assistants McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.